Well, hello, everyone. I'm your host, Ken Engel, president of Southeastern University. We want to welcome you to Framework Leadership Today, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. And now we're exclusively a part of the SEU Podcast Network. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SEU Chief of Staff. And we are privileged today. Wow, this is an awesome privilege to introduce our guests for today's show, Bob and Rob Hoskins. Uh, Bob Hoskins is the founder of One Hope and has planted churches across the world in the Middle East, North Africa. Africa. And of course, Bob is is world-renowned child evangelist, Christianary, uh, Christian missionary, author, publisher with an incredible le- legacy. So we're excited that you're with us today. Well, yeah. it's my joy. We love it. And we're also joined by Dr. Rob Hoskins, uh, the president of One Hope, and also Bob's son. So great legacy happening there. Again, gifted missions futurist, innovative ministry strategist, relentless visionary and global connector. We're really excited to have you guys on the show Wow, today. that was a mouthful. <laughs> it was. It hit me. Yeah. <laughs> Again, great to have you both with us. Now, One Hope, uh, as we start our conversation, is a ministry that works in over 100 countries to send really that biblical message of hope to children through print and film and storytelling and and, and digital apps. And this ministry partners with local churches, uh, partners with governments, schools, and other ministries to share God's Word. And it has reached 1.7 billion children and youth literally around the globe. Uh, Bob, you founded the organization back in 1987 as the Book of Hope International. Love to start our conversation by talking about how and why did you get it started? Well, it came out of a vision. Um, 1987, in a time of fasting and prayer, I had a vision of Satan's plan to destroy a generation. And I saw uh, demons from hell attacking children through violence, through war, through famine, through disease, through the proliferation of alcohol, drugs, and all of these things. And children were being slain. And for days I was weeping, God, what is this I'm seeing and what should I do? And the Spirit of God spoke into my spirit and said, the only thing that will rescue them is truth. Mm-hmm. And truth is found in my word. Yeah. I want you to take my word to the children of the world. And then he said, you will do it through leaders, right. which wow. I wasn't sure about that leader part. <laughs> no, and, and it's, I mean, it, it, when you, when you preser- present the hope of Christ, Jesus, he says, I am the way, the That's truth. Right. And the life. Mm-hmm. So powerful. So how was print media specifically so critical to accomplishing that, minis- uh, that mission? Well, at that point, 1987, uh, I, I had gone to, as a missionary to the Middle East after spending years as a crusade evangelist. And you don't do, do crusade evangelism in the Muslim world. Mm-hmm. And so there was frustration. How am I going to reach these people when I can't go do a crusade? Yeah. And, and, and God by the Holy Spirit. Well, first of all, I, I started reading the Quran. Right. And I found Jesus in the Quran. Mm-hmm. So I said, what if I take Jesus from the Quran mm-hmm. and I sort of repackage him uh, and reintroduce him. And uh, so I created a few uh, pieces of literature that did that. And then I had to say, well, uh, how am I going to get it? to?" So I put ads in newspapers. They sent me inquiries. Mm -hmm. And within 10 years, we had 400,000 people in 26 uh, Arabic-speaking countries Mm -hmm. receiving our literature. And so that's, that's how I was into the literature. I said, yeah. I call it the power of the printed page. Yeah. And in 1987, it was probably the most effective medium. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily true today, but in 1987, right. books were the most effective medium. Right. Yeah. So how do leaders, how can they, 
how can they have their eyes open for opportunities like that? Like, how do you see those kind of moments where you're like, man, if I can capitalize on this, I can accomplish that mission. How do you have your eyes open like that? Well, keep your eyes open. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I've always been one that uh, follows uh, current trends mm-hmm. and culture, what's happening in, 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 in the various levels of life. And I think uh, in addition to the Holy Spirit, which I accredit the vision to the Holy Spirit, I accredit the idea to launch the various ministries of the Holy Spirit, but there's also that ingredient of being conscious and aware of what's going on around you yeah. and, and responding to that, responding mm-hmm. to, the, to the current needs mm-hmm. and situations. I think, I think Dad's always been, you know, if, if, if I was ever, if there was a biblical dictionary and there were pictures in it and it was son of Issachar, I think my dad mm-hmm. would be there, yeah. one who understands yeah. their times yep. and knows what to do. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a discipline about understanding your times and knowing what to do. I think part of it was he started preaching when he was seven years old, never went to school after the age of, uh, of second grade. Mm-hmm. I know I'm here on a Southeastern podcast, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I'm good. advocating for no education, <laughs> right. you know, as, as a wonderful way. But, but what happened was he became self-taught from the time he was seven years yeah. old. And my dad's been an avarice reader, consumer of media, mm. and, and he became a lifelong learner beginning at seven years old, and it's a discipline in his life that I've seen him every day, still at 85 years old, super disciplined, not only to be in the Word and in prayer, but also to be reading the latest thinkers, Mm -hmm. um, understanding where culture's going. I mean, my dad's the one that is the early adapter who's telling me, Rob, you got to download this new app. It's really going to change the way you think about things, you know. And so uh, he's always a step ahead, and he's always stayed young in his heart. And that's what I actually love about Southeastern is what you're advocating for is not someone to come here and get a four-year degree and the relationship's over, but that Southeastern, as an institution, is here to create lifelong leaders that are continually learning, that are continually feeding their their mind, yeah. uh, continually feeding their their heart and their soul with what's going on today, and that combination between being a Pentecostal institution that hears the voice of the Spirit, yeah, yep. and a lifelong learner that understands keenly what is going on in the world, hmm. I think is the combination that has been um, the genius behind Dad's life and ministry is to be able to you know leaders see early. Leaders see before others see. Yeah, you know, and then I think the third ingredient is they act. Right. You know, you you can the Holy Spirit can give you a vision. You can see things cleanly and awarely, but some people are measure, 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 never cut. Right. And you know, a, a vision without action is mm-hmm. is, is just a dream. Mm-hmm. But um, Dad's been able to say, okay, we see things clearly. We've got a plan. Let's get busy yeah, and get yeah, something yeah. done. And it's really it's a, it's about the stewardship of life. Steward being a good steward of calling and having listening, understanding context, all of that, and that's what you do in a in a pretty profound way. Now, One Hope continues to expand and fulfill uh, its destiny by by reaching millions, showing the world that again its mission was not man's idea, but but indeed a direct mm. calling. Uh, from God. Now, Rob, you uh, helped launch a 44-country research initiative named Spiritual State of World's Children. Back That was back in 2007. 
This was to help one hope learn more about the unique needs and, and experiences and social traditions of children and youth literally around the world. What inspired you to start that initiative? Yeah, it goes back to, um, well, it really goes back to when mom and dad, and, and, and dad was, was fairly young and sort of at a leadership perspective at the, at the peak of his leadership ability as, this, as the leader CEO of One Hope. And uh, he, he turned to me at, when I was younger than 40 years old and said, it's time for me to hand this over to you. And I was like, dad, you're, you know. um, but he said no. He said if we're going to lead the ministry on to the next generation, then I need to begin to begin mm -hmm. to serve you and and be behind you, encouraging you. And so you can imagine the tremendous weight that my wife Kim and I felt uh, as young leaders um, to take what my mom and dad had really spent their entire lives building this mm -hmm. incredible ministry, global ministry, and the impact it was already having around the world, and saying, uh, Lord, um, if we're going to build on this foundation, what is it you're saying to us as a new generation of leaders um, and how we're going to lead One Hope. And the thing that was really on my heart and mind was, um, you know, uh, so we go into a community, we hand out 100,000 copies of God's Word. If, uh, if we handed them out, did anyone read them? If they read them, did they understand them? If they understood it, did it affect their beliefs and attitude? If it affected their beliefs and attitude, then are we seeing any behavior change? Right. So this sort of science of what has become at One Hope, what we call outcome-based ministry, was the ability to say, um, what impact are we having? having with our work? Can we measure? Everybody's talking about transformation right now. Right. Very few people are measuring transformation. And if you don't do research, you really have no ability to, to measure your outcomes. Right. Uh, you don't know what your starting point is, so how do you know if there's been any change? Mm -hmm. so, so research under, under uh, my leadership really became the cornerstone of uh, One Hope moving to what we call outcome-based ministry. Mm -hmm. And so we've only had three major vision shifts in, since Dad founded the ministry. And we moved from being a product-driven ministry, the books, the yeah. print, the product. And of course, you know, um, that had tremendous impact. Uh, but then we made the strategic decision to move from um, not, not in any way abandoning product-driven, but really being focused on what we call um, market-driven. Mm -hmm. So, And if you don't understand your market, right. um, it's back to what your question was, what do you do in the Middle East when you can't go preach a crusade? That's always been market-driven, but it really became the focus of everything we do. So research became sort of the uh, capstone of that second transition for us. And so we started launching into research, mm -hmm. and we've really become, one hope is probably, arguably, the, the, the largest researcher of beliefs and attitudes of children and youth around the world. So we have a massive research department. We have five PhDs on there that are wow. that are helping us, and we're continually. So that was the first one, the attitudes and belief of youth, spiritual mm -hmm. state of the world's yeah. children. I mean, we're talking about a massive study. Yeah. I mean, this was 42 countries. We had uh, 250,000 participants, 155 diagnostic questions, wow. and it really helped us understand in every market where we were working, what are the kids themselves thinks about these issues? Mm. And then we just finished our second one, which is um, which we call Global Gen Z, yeah. which is uh, another global project mm -hmm. to really understand, um, you know, how do Gen Zers think around the world? Um, and we've seen some major shifts between the 2007 study and the 2020 study that we just that we just completed. Um, and now we're in our third phase of leadership and vision shift, which is um, we're going to become user-driven. Mm -hmm. so, so we move from product-driven to market-driven to user-driven. Mm -hmm. And of course, the user-driven comes from the fact that we live in a, we live in a digital right, community. Right. And we can directly market to individuals now. And so it's, it's actually going to um, an individual 
Um, and, and if you don't have research, and you don't have the capacity to use that research in a digital format, then I don't care if you're a marketer, a businessman, anybody that's selling any type of product, anybody that wants to reach consumers, um, they really need to be making this shift uh, as part of the digital transformation, mm. to be able to take as much data as you can in a data-rich uh, world in digital, be able to understand that data, and then take it down and particularize it to the individual person, to right. the user. Mm -hmm. So that's the journey One Hope has been on in our, in, our, in our development, but research still sits at the core. And here's the amazing thing. When we told the board we want to move from product-driven to market-driven, they said, wow, that's going to be expensive. <laughs> Research is an expensive sure. proposition. It might break our business model. And my, my, my proposition back to the board was, I really believe that if we understand the market better and we're bringing more value to the market, then everybody will want our products more. Right. And actually, that happened. And the same thing is happening now with user-driven. If we understand the user better, we'll serve the market better. Yeah. And so these things have actually built on one another, and the ministry has continued to grow and expand with those sort of vision shifts that we've been going through. And, and you know, when, uh, when we started making these shifts, my original partners who were the donors, uh, I'd preach to them the power of the printed page, the yeah, power of the yeah. printed page, the power of the seed. And suddenly they said, well, don't you still believe, you know, don't you still believe that God's word will never return void and blah, blah, right. blah, blah. Why do you have to do all this uh, research? Yeah, why, why you spend all this? I said, uh, let's look like this. If, if, if I could fly over a village uh, with a bundle of uh, scripture and just kick them out of the plane and let them flutter down and hope that somebody will pick them up and hope that they can read it and then hope that they will understand it and then hope that there will be a response. If that's all I could do, I believe so in the power of God's Word. If that's all right, I could do, right, I'd probably right. do it. But what if I can land there? What if I can meet the people? What if I can learn their language? What if I can understand their culture? Then I can go to the Scripture and fashion a, me fashion a message that will engage them. Yeah. Now, isn't that better? And they said, oh, yeah, maybe that's Absolutely. better. That's so, wow. And that's such a big, powerful principle when it comes to leading change in your organization, right? That power of imagination, asking those what-if questions. As you guys have shifted these major shifts, what were some of the other things that you did to help your organization, your donors, your board catch the vision and, and really support where you felt like the Holy Spirit was leading you? Yeah, I mean, great, great, great question. And um, not without a lot of pain. Let me just right. put it that That's way. Right. Um, le leading change takes courage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it, it's always going to upset a, con a contingent of your of your Absolutely. stakeholders. Yeah. And and that's just part of being a leader. Right. I mean, it, and and I think that if every, if, if you were going to make everybody happy, um, you're, you're never going to be a change leader. Mm -hmm. right. So you've just got to set in your mind, this is the direction we're going. I remember when, when God was speaking to me about outcome-based ministry, it was really a dramatic uh, event that kind of forces you as a leader to say you have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Because none of us willingly want to, to lead through change if we understand the impact that change is going to have on our community, people that we love dearly, the relationships. Um, we did lose donors, I mean, that had supported dad and mom for 40 years when we started going in new directions. Um, there are donors right now that are even very reluctant to, to go with us and actually designate their funds towards digital because yeah. to them it's not as tangible for them. So, so these are hard decisions you make as a change leader. Um, it, it was in the country of Swaziland. I was, I, I was there um, actually to, to film a video 
to to uh, to present a video, and we always sort of have a poster child video at our big fundraising event every year. And so Swaziland looked great on paper. I mean, we were in every school in the country. The king had given us permission. Uh, we had a church that had sponsored every school. I mean, the program on paper was just man. This is fun. we were getting great anecdotal stories of kids whose lives were transformed. So I was flying into Swaziland, never been there, to sort of film what was going on, <laughs> and and show how how wonderful you know one hope is, and uh, the reality on the ground was completely different. Hmm. I mean, uh, th this was a place where um, David Livingston had been a missionary there. So we're talking about a rich history of right. mission here. Um, all of our partners were there. World Vision was there. Compassion was there. I mean, all the denominational missions agencies were there and had been there for literally hundreds of years. And from the, from the ride from the airport to the hotel, um, I, I, I was amazed. I mean, I saw Jesus billboards. I saw uh, Jesus bumper stickers on every car. I mean, every kilometer there was a church, wow. and and I started talking to to my my host, um, a, a national leader there, and found out that 72% of the country claimed to be born again believers. Mm. Um, the king actually preaches to the nation in a national stadium every year, um, and I'm thinking, wow, job done. I mean, why are we even here? This is a, mm -hmm. this is a Christian nation. Oh, by the way, we have the highest HIV/AIDS rate in the world. Wow. Um, average life expectancy of a Swazi man is down to 32 years of age. Wow. The United Nations says this will become the first extinct nation in the world if things continue the way they are. And, and I couldn't sleep that night because how could a Christian nation be dying of sexual dysfunctionalism? Mm -hmm. and, and, and what hit me in that story was we're measuring our outputs as if they were outcomes. Right. Mm -hmm. All of us are saying we're, we're hitting the mark. You know, our program was saying that. Um, I, I was almost sick to my stomach the next morning when I went to a school, and they're shooting a video with a principal who's giving high praise to our program. I'm standing outside with two young teachers. And you know how God just sort of sets you up in moments right, like right, this? And right. I, I'd gotten the morning newspaper in Swaziland, and that's another thing Dad told me to always do. Read the, read the local newspaper wherever you go. Understand, you're, you're constantly doing research, right? Dad was doing research before you knew it was research. So, so we were, uh, I was reading the newspaper, and the front article was about a school teacher who had sexually abused seven of his students. And so I'm standing outside with these two young teachers, and I show them this newspaper, and I say, you know, what, what, what's going on here? You know, what, what, and the teachers go, oh, this is very unusual. I said, it doesn't say it's unusual. And in fact, it says, you know, the vocation that has the highest uh, number of, of sexual abuse are school teachers. So I said, it doesn't, it's not an anomaly. It sounds like it's normal. So I kept prodding these guys. Finally, mm -hmm. the, one of the guys got, got angry at me. And he looked at me and he said, um, do you have a car? I said, yeah, I have a car. He says, do you have a house? I said, yeah, I have a house. He says, are you married? I go, yeah, I'm, I'm married. He said, does your wife have a car? I go, yeah. He says, I don't have a wife. I don't have a car. I don't have a house. All I have is these girls. Wow. This, this public school teacher is admitting to me that he's sexually abusing his students. Well, I shut our program down that day. Yeah. I said... Uh, now, that's leadership. Well, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When you have something that everybody in the world thinks you're, doing, yeah. you're highly successful, and you say, it's not working, we're going to shut it down. That's what leaders do. Wow. Sorry. And so, so uh, and I said, until we figure this out, we're not moving forward. And, and that's where my vision for outcome-based ministry and moving to being market-driven rather than product-driven began. And, and it was a hard road. I mean, you don't want to admit to your stakeholders, we failed. Yeah. That's leadership, right. is transparently being able to communicate Absolutely. to people, this is the reality of the situation, and taking everybody on that journey with you. Mm -hmm. But those stories um, have to be communicated, and, and, and story is powerful. Right. I could come back and, and try and teach outcome-based ministry and convince people that this is the right way to go. I can tell one story 
mm-hmm. that has impacted my life and tell it well, and and I can move the culture. Yeah. And so it's like Drucker says. Mm-hmm. I mean, culture eats a vision for breakfast. Right. I, I mean, and and culture is built around narrative. It's built around these powerful stories. And so Kim and I and, and my daughters, we moved there for three months to Swaziland to do research, mm-hmm. and it, it was startling. I had a young girl who'd been through our program had received our material in school, accepted Christ. And so I'm interviewing her and saying, you know, what outcome has happened? And she turned to me and asked me, a 13-year-old girl asked me a question. She goes, I still have a question. She goes, do I sleep with the bus driver once a month? Mm -hmm. Or do I walk seven kilometers to school every day? Wow. I mean, what she was, I had to unpack that that question. And, And what she was saying to me was, um, in this country, the cultural narrative is growing up as a poor girl, the only chance your family has to make its way out of poverty is your education. Mm. And for her not to sleep with the bus driver in that cultural context, so she was being a good little girl. Mm-hmm. She was taking one for the team. Right. And just the demonic nature sure. of that situation, the evil, mm-hmm. the persistent evil that was there. Now, I'm an American, mm-hmm. so my first reaction is, let's start a bus company. I mean, you know, I mean, this little girl needs I mean, we're hammers. Every nail we see, we're going right, to hit right, it, right? right, right. We're, we're going to hit yep. it. And that's where the other component of research comes in so yep. strong, which mm-hmm. is to say, because I say outcome-based ministry is built on two foundations, research and collaboration. Yeah. I didn't need to start a bus company. But I needed to do research, do some asset mapping to find out. God has amazing people that are unutilized, right. that need leadership. Huge. And so I did. I found a teen challenge couple who had already identified this need and were busing kids to the school. Mm-hmm. Long story short, if I couldn't make it work in Swaziland, what right did I have as a leader to change an entire global organization? So you have to create models that people can see for change leadership. Mm-hmm. You, you don't try and implement those changes on a broad, huge scale until you know you've come up with a winning a formula, solution, process, conceptual framework. So out of that Swazi program, I developed my personal leadership for outcome-based ministry. And I, if I couldn't prove it in Swaziland, I, I wasn't going to try and implement it anywhere else. But we did. We came up with what was called the iMatter program. That iMatter program became so successful in measuring the age of sexual debut, which was the number one predictor of HIV AIDS growth in the country. So this was what we call evidence-based in the, in the world sociologically and in the humanitarian relief and development world. It's called evidence-based. And we, we prove, we were able to prove through our, through our program called I Matter that we were able actually to affect the narrative in the minds of, of children and young people mm-hmm. to prolong the age of sexual debut, which, which actually turned the, what's called the R factor, the rate of growth of HIV in the country. Mm-hmm. And it was so successful that USAID, um, CDC, the Center for Disease mm-hmm. Control, um, saw our program, and we got the f- largest single first-time grant of over $6 million for our program in South Africa. Yeah. So it proved the formula to my board that, uh, yeah, our fundraising might go down, but, but the value of evidence-based, outcomes-based programs would be so desired by the market mm-hmm. that they would begin to offset our other costs for distribution that we were having to do, which, which proved to be the case. So a long answer to your, how, well, how do you bring about change? But there's certain elements in that story. There, there's the power of narrative right. that's needed. Yeah. There's the power of being able to go into a single market, a smaller scale, a scale work, whatever it is, and to be able to figure out the science of what you're trying to do so that you can go back and prove to your constituency there is a better way. People aren't going to change unless they can have a vision for a better. Your job as the leader is to be able to paint the, the vision of the future that's better than the existing 
And if you can't do that, people aren't going to change. Right, why right. would we? Why can we? Yeah. Why, why are well, we going to go through we? the pain of that? Yeah. Yeah. And after that, I came a year later after Swaziland, I presented to our entire global community of stakeholders, and I said, this is where we're going. Mm -hmm. It's not an option. And I can tell you right now, some of you will not be here two years from now because you're not going to buy this. You're very comfortable with where you are. God bless you. We're going to transition you out well, but we are going. Yeah. And, and we're going hard and fast. And we're in the middle of that right now with the digital world with going direct to user. I've got great resistance even within my organization right now. And, and I've, I've made it abundantly clear to my entire team. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, this the is train has yeah. left the yeah, station. Right. It's called yeah, a digital train and it's moving fast. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're not with us, God yeah. bless you. Yeah, no, so good. Uh, now, we, uh, we celebrated last night. We're launching uh, the Bob and Hazel Hoskins School of Mission here at Southeastern University. You know, wanting our students to understand uh, missiology in, in how it just applies to everyday life uh, in the calling that they have. But I want to ask you this. You know, a lot of young people struggle, and, and our mission around here is helping them to discover and develop their divine design so they can go and serve Jesus, they can serve the mm, church, they can that. serve the world. But a lot of young people can struggle to really begin discovering their calling and discovering that design. What advice would both of you give to those who are struggling to find purpose? Well, I would say go to the Scripture, yeah. and you'll discover very quickly that God has a purpose and a plan for uh, for our lives. Right. He didn't just create us haphazardly to, you know, hit and miss. I really believe God has a design and a purpose for our lives. And so I think as we as we search the Scripture, and as in as in prayer, uh, we ask God for direction. And then in addition to that, from the human standpoint, what are my gifts? Right. Mm -hmm. What are my what are the skills that God has uh, entrusted to me? Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, I'm, I may want to be a, a, a great uh, hockey player, but I'm never going to be a great hockey player. I mean, uh, the heavens could tell me, be a hockey player, and I'm, I, I'm, I don't have the giftings and the skills. Mm -hmm. so, so you understand the giftings and skills that God has given you, yeah. and then you concentrate on improving and honing mm -hmm. those gifts and those skills. And I believe that when you do that, then God, by the Holy Spirit, will begin to open the way for you. Mm -hmm. uh, he will make it clear to you as, as you do your part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Dad's always taught me from a young age, um, we find God's will at the confluence of, um, of our personal skills um, and abilities, um, the world's need that, that we can actually see mm -hmm. that's out there, um, and um, and and our passion. So so, what are we good at? Mm -hmm. What are we passionate about? And and where do we see need in the world? Yeah. And and he's always told me, if you, at the confluence of those three things, you find God's will. Yeah. And and if you do, then you don't have fear yeah. about moving forward. And that's what I think keeps a lot of, yeah. especially Gen Z from this latest research. Yeah. Um, they're a very fearful generation. Yeah. Um, they they grew up with 9/11. Mm -hmm. They went through the crash in 2008. Mm -hmm. They're presently going through a pandemic. I mean, all they've known is insecurity in culture, society, politics. Mm -hmm. And so they're, they're, they're the most thoughtful generation probably since the GI generation, since my dad's generation. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, they, they live with a lot of fear. 
Um, and so I think, uh, but they're the most cause-oriented generation in the history of humanity. Right. So I found they've been very resonant to, to what dad taught me, which is, um, what are you great at? They're also the most knowledgeable generation right. in the history mm-hmm. of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think what they're looking for, uh, Ken, and, and what you provide here at Southeastern University is, is having a guide beside yeah. that can just help them right. to understand in their design process, yeah. what are my skills? What is it I'm really passionate about? I think they've had so much thrown at them because of social media that they, they, they sort of are, are, are passion fatigued mm. because it's like, right. what is my passion of the day? Right. And getting them to sort of <laughs> right. guide through, I don't have to be passionate about everything yeah, in the right. world. What is it at the, my heart and core yeah. through scripture and through the Bible that God is leading me into yeah. and really discovering what am I great at? Where is the world's need, and what am I passionate about? And then, if you do that, there's sort of a fourth leg to that, and it's it's your vocation. Yeah. And 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 your vocation, if you can find those three things, I can guarantee you, you're gonna you're gonna live yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we we've never. Uh, uh, you guys are leaders. <laughs> if you find a, a young person who has those three things, you're gonna pay. Them. Exactly. I mean, exactly. You don't have to worry no, about yeah. whether you're gonna get a paycheck or whether God's gonna take care right. of you. Or I mean, I mean. People are, everyone, leaders are looking for people like that everywhere. You don't have to worry about your vocation, whether you're going to have economic stability or anything like that. I mean, so those four things will happen. But it very much is, as dad's been philosophy, and and dad is a student of Drucker. He, he, um, you know, uh, Peter Drucker, the father. Fortunately, I I knew Peter and spent a lot of time with him, so he, he had a great impact on my on my life and how I conduct uh, my ministry. Yeah. And so, so part of it is just, you know, Drucker's thing was uh, learning how to be a knowledge worker yeah. in, in a knowledge economy, which we're living in. Mm-hmm. And those were really Drucker's points mm-hmm. as far as growing in your gifts and skills and yeah. in your talents, yeah. uh, being passionate enough because you, you're driven by a need. Yeah. And I think the millennials and the boomers were driven by materialism. Mm-hmm. Gen Z is not. Yeah. Right. They're driven by cause. And, and, and where is the point of, of human need? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, but some of them have done some really, uh, <laughs> you know, you read something on the internet and you're an expert. No, you're not. Right. I right. mean, <laughs> that's why they're Southeastern University. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You need to learn the science, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. And, and, and just in our field, in missions, you know, everybody goes on a short-term trip for two weeks and there's suddenly a world expert telling me how they, I, I should change my economic development plans in countries. And I'm going, well, let me sort of guide you for a little while here. So, so you know, it's this, but I, I, love, I love Southeastern's vision of really discovering those things that we're talking about right now. But not just discovering them, being a guide beside, not just for the four years they're here, that's why I'm so, our family is, is so humbled, so honored that you would name this school after my mom and dad, the Bob and Hazel Hoskins School. And, and from the beginning, uh, what you shared with us is um, the fact that your dad at 85 mm-hmm. ha- hasn't even finished the race well yet. <laughs> He's, yeah. he, he flies out to DRC this, this next week. That's the, the Democratic Me- Republic of the Congo. Yeah. Wow. So he's headed to the Congo at 85 years of, I mean, you know, yeah. he hasn't slowing down at all. But it's, it, it's this life well lived. Right. Uh, from the time he's seven-year-old as boy preacher to 85 and off mm-hmm. on his way to Congo after getting a school named after mm-hmm. him. That is an adventure that is so exciting. Yeah. And, and, and what you said is, we want our students to have models and examples that they can follow. Yeah. And I think that life journey yeah. 
and Southeastern's vision mm-hmm. to begin a relationship with your students now, yeah. but to walk with them and create the next generation of Bob and Hazel Hoskins around the world, that, that you can be in relationship and be that guide beside for the... That's why we were thrilled when Southeastern... Mm-hmm. I was thrilled. Yeah. It took my dad a little convincing to get us to name the school <laughs> sure. after him, but uh, that's why we love this place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, powerful, powerful. And we do love this place. And, and, and it takes me to, you know, as you describe this... Um, uh, the great statement that Frederick Beekner uh, made, he said, the place where God calls you is a place where your deep gladness, mm. deep gladness, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. meets the world's yeah. deep hunger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And, and when, you, when you find that, wow, you yeah. are yeah. operating in your desire. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's powerful. It's fascinating when you're talking about the differences, because I feel like you know, 25 years ago, you have Fight Club and you have this whole generation that's marked by anger, right? That anti-consumerism. Yeah. And now, 25 years later, we've got a generation marked by fear. And in both situations, the answer is that mentorship. It's that, hey, who's the voice in your life that's directing you, that's helping you overcome these lies, overcome these things in your life? What advice would you give to people right now that should be engaging in that mentorship relationship that doesn't, how do, how do you start that? Well, one thing that was shocking to us, this is the latest research, this Global Gen Z report, um, something very unique about this generation that was different than their older brothers and sisters and millennials. Um, the, the number one influential voice in Gen Zers is their parents. Wow. Um, far beyond the internet, far beyond social media, far beyond their friends as peers, education system, um, government, um, and actually, unfortunately, religious leaders were last. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and this was global, by the way. And this wasn't just Christians. This was Muslim, Buddhist, Hindus, Christian kids. Gen Z globally, most influential voice in their life, by far more than any other generation, is their parents. Now, why is that? Um, the reason is, is because, and this is why mental illness and anxiety are so high among Gen Z as well. I mean, it's astronomical growth in, in mm-hmm. mental illness. There is so much stress because of the volume of knowledge and stimulation that's coming at them, mm-hmm. that they don't trust anybody anymore. Yeah. Um, they might, you know, love a, a, a digital influencer, but they don't trust them. No. I mean, at the end of the day, and so they're turning to their parents. And so I really think that there's a unique opportunity for us as the church to reinstate the biblical model, right. yeah. which is the Shema. Yeah, yeah. From generation to right. generation, from parents to mm-hmm. children. And I think we professionalize ministry so much that many parents have actually um, uh, wrongfully deserted their role as bring a pre- priest of their home. Wow. And they haven't properly uh, raised their children. Mm-hmm. And they haven't taught what my mom and dad taught me about what we just talked about, understanding who you are. Yeah. I think the church has advocated their role in that regard as well. You know, we allow um, secular, humanistic, in many cases, um, school counselors to help tell our children where they should go to college. No, this is our responsibility. Right. These are our children. Right. And this is what the scripture has taught us from the very beginning. It's why, 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 why Judaism has, has maintained itself as a persecuted community through mm-hmm. thousands of years because they have not abandoned the responsibility as a community yeah. to say we will take responsibility for our own children. So I think we're living in a very unique time in history. Mm-hmm. And so we at One Hope are completely um, changing our philosophy of ministry to really equip... Now, here's the scary thing um, <laughs> out of the research study. Uh, young people say that parents are their most influential voice in their life except for one area. 
and that's sexual identity. Hmm. They, they, they don't believe their parents understand the reality of sexual identity. These are hard issues, guys. Hmm. I mean, they didn't teach me in seminary about gender identification. Well, this was not a right. big field of study right. back when I was, you know. So, so they, that's the only topic that they, that they don't fully, um, and, and, and peers are where they're going to talk about, mm-hmm. well, well, shame on us. Mm-hmm. Shame on the church for not talking about these issues. Right. Um, shame on parents. Right. Now, the scary thing was we did qualitative research with the parents and showed them this data and said, parents, um, you are the most influential voice. of your, They were shocked, number one. They thought, I'm the most influential voice? My 13-year-old boy doesn't even look like, he, <laughs> looks like he's looking at me when right. I'm talking to him. He doesn't sound, they're listening to you. Right. They're watching mm, you. Right. You are the most influential voice in their family. Then when this realization hit them in qualitative research, they said, I feel completely ill-equipped. Mm. I, I can't answer their questions. Yeah. They have so much knowledge. They're asking me questions I don't have answers to. And I think the, the problem there is that we haven't properly catechized our people. We haven't actually trained and discipled our people on the questions of the day and to have a biblical answer for everything, as First mm-hmm. Peter 3 says. Yeah. Yeah. And so this, again, is where I see the role of the university. Mm-hmm. I see the role of the university to say there are lifelong learners out there, and, and Southeastern is offering a full range of, of certificate programs. If you're a parent out there and you want to dig deeper on I- issues of human sexuality, right. on the economy, right. on creation care, on these issues that Gen mm-hmm. Z are asking the hardest questions that have ever been asked in the history of humanity. Southeastern is here to walk alongside you as parents, as pastors, as youth ministers, as children's pastors, mm-hmm. as business leaders, mm-hmm. to be able, hey, business leaders out there, you better have social answers for your employees. We're learning every day in the corporate world. If you don't have proper social answers, mm-hmm. um, they don't care what, how big their bonus check is going to be this year. Mm. This generation wants to know what do you believe, why do you believe it, and can you give me answers? Yeah. What a great place for the church to be in right now. But it, it's going to take us uh, living up to these hard questions that culture is asking us and walking along this next generation uh, to supply them with the answers. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need academic institutions. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to have an incredible conversation we're having today, and we're going to move into our fire round here. But I want to ask one more question before we move in that fire. You just wrote a book with uh, uh, John Maxwell. Tell us a little bit about that. Who's John Maxwell? (laughs) (laughs) Who is John Maxwell? I was actually sitting on a boat with John, and he's been a mentor to me. And we were were down on a boat in Fort Lauderdale, and we're cruising the intercoastal. And I just finished my doctoral dissertation on this whole subject of of change and transformation. Mm -hmm. And and he had read it, and as a mentor, I just said, hey, John, I want to know if there's a popular book in this dissertation. Yeah. You know, I just, <laughs> you guys know yeah. I'm already yeah. I mean, yep. blood, yep. sweat, Absolutely. tears over this right. dissertation. Maybe eight people are going to read it. You know, yeah. I said, "Is there a popular book here?" And he said, "Not only is there a popular book here," he said, um, I- "I'd like to write it with you. Yeah. Uh, w- w- would you write the book with me?" And you said, uh, "Let me have a day or two to think <laughs> about, think about it." it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a bit of advice for our listeners. I know this is a leadership podcast. When John asked Max, will ask you if he will write a book with you. I said, "Let me think about it." Yes. Yes. I, I say it took two point four seconds. John said, "That's too long." He said, "You waited too long." I know, you almost lost me. So, so of course, I mean, this guy is you know probably right. the leading leadership guru of our time, and 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 I. Frankly, asked John. I said, John, you don't need me. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. I, I write a book. I'm, uh, I, I did write a book, and you know, I sold. I was very happy to sell twenty thousand copies. You know, yeah. um, John's going to sell hundreds of thousands, millions of copies of it. And so uh, I said, Why? Why me? Why now? Mm-hmm. Why? And he said, It's. He said, I am 
I, my entire life has been about how can we create change leaders? How can we create transformational leaders? And he said, I looked around the world and I saw someone who had actually implemented how to change your world mm. and, and to create a conceptual framework and a science of transformation. He goes, I need a scientist to write this book with me. And so, so I was thrilled because it's taken, you know, uh, I've had my head down doing this now for thir and with dad for both of us for 50 years, how to, how to bring about transformational change. John has been in the business of popularizing leadership. So together we came together and wrote Change Your World, which is a combination of John taking what are, in some cases, very complex change management, transformation science, and, and John is the genius of making things simple, simple. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, of, of making it accessible. And so that's what Change Your World is all about. And, and it's had a phenomenal response. I mean, John's saying it's his best-selling book in, in recent times that, wow. he's, that he's written. And so I'm thrilled. And, and uh, they're in Paris today to introduce the French version. Yeah, the oh, French wow. book came out today. So today, they're in Paris how, today. How, how many languages is it, it going? It, 13 right now. So, si vous êtes en France aujourd'hui, je recommande cette livre pour toi. So, wow. A little endorsement for the French there book out we go. there for all, for all your French listeners. Yes, yes, yes we have a lot of them. <laughs> hey, uh, again, grateful for you both. Now we want to kind of transition to our quick fire round, and we want to ask you just a few uh -oh. questions surrounding uh, kind of everything we discuss. You you will master this uh, well, <laughs> yes. so uh, we're, we know you'll do this good. We want to grab uh, just some uh, applicable pieces for our listeners to uh, just run with. So, Michael, why don't you ask the first question? All right, so what are the top three topics? that every leader should be informed about right now and prepared to discuss, in your opinion? Well, the top three right now. Right I, now. Yep. Crypto. Crypto, okay. okay. Yep. Absolutely. Um, uh, that's the first one that comes to my mind. Um, the impact of uh, COVID mm -hmm. on yep. changing direction. Okay. How is it going to affect you and what you do, mm. not just your family, but your business? And uh, let me see, a uh, third one. Um, wow, can't think of a third one. Those are the two most important in my mind yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, so I, I would definitely say a digital transformation. Yeah. How is digital uh, going to affect every aspect of life? Um, I, I would say uh, with dad, crypto. I, I don't think people understand that, that, that blockchain and really decentralized finance. Right. Uh, crypto is just a product of decentralized uh, mm -hmm. systems um, is, is critical if you're mm -hmm. going to be a global leader uh, moving forward. And I would say um, probably the third issue is issues of human sexuality and gender. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, this is what this, the question this mm -hmm. generation is asking. Uh, so those would be my three. Uh, next question, and I want to revisit a statement you, you made earlier. What is the difference between an output and an outcome? So, so out, I, I tell people there are no outcomes without outputs. Okay. So I'm not disparaging outputs. Outputs is a is is a measurement of activity, and outcomes are a measurement of change. Okay. So um, y y we measure outputs. Yeah. I mean, this mm -hmm. year we'll reach 135 million kids through our 320 programs. We love numbers, mm -hmm. but numbers don't. They tell part of the story, but until you measure what happened with that output, you really haven't measured an outcome. Yeah. And so you, you have to measure your outputs um, if you want to reach scale, and mm -hmm. we do. It, the vision was God's word every child. Yeah. But outcomes are measuring the impact of those outputs. Yeah. 
Yeah, so good. Cool. If there was a if there was a book other than Change Your World, which would be a good one, that you would recommend <laughs> to young leaders right now, what 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 would you put on there? Oh on my gosh, uh, so many right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have a revolving list on my Kindle of about fifteen books that I'm reading all at the same time. So uh, one book right now. Um, go ahead, Dad, and I'll, I'm trying uh, I'm trying to pick the best one book right now. Book called Lead. Okay. By uh, Trip. Paul Tripp. Yep. Paul Tripp. Love it. And uh, it may seem that uh, it's for more mature uh, or older mm-hmm. leaders, but I say for young people, read it now so you don't have to read it later. Later. There we go. Wow, that's yeah. good. That's good. Wow, and that's good. Uh, I guess it's my turn, right? <laughs> yep. I, I've got to choose uh, one book. Um, wow. I, I think N.T. Wright's uh, biography of Paul is is uh, essential reading right now of your church leader. Love wow. it. Yeah, I think Paul. I think N.T. Wright is able to take uh, the person of Paul and make him so approachable to everybody. And uh, I've, I've never read a better exposition of the life of Paul than N.T. Wright's right now. Yeah, wow, so good. Well, uh, Bob and, and Rob, I want to thank you both for joining us today on Framework Leadership Podcast. I mean, Bob, you are a true hero of the faith. You both are. <laughs> Heroes of the faith, and and just I mean you've been obedient and faithful to God's call, and and look at the fruit of that, and it's amazing, and and now uh, the school of mission is going to be able to come alongside thousands of students to to infuse that very same commitment uh, to calling, and we're excited about it. Well, let me let me join as uh, Rob already has said how excited we are. As you know, I've always been reluctant to allow my name to be put on something because I've always worked from the premise you can have reward or recognition, and I always chose reward. But when you uh, friends here at Southeastern describe how you truly wanted to affect mission. And, right. and it's mm-hmm. important to know it's not the school of missions. Yeah. It's yeah. the school of mission, mission. Mm-hmm. and which means that every area of life, mm. whether it's your business school or your medical right. school right. or whatever, uh, it, it, it's, being, it's being infused with mission vision. Yes. And, and I'm so thrilled and thankful for yeah. it. Wow. Great. I love it. Awesome. Um, Rob, if we want to grab a copy of Change Your World, Kindle, Amazon, across the board, where everybody can get it. Available everywhere in 13 languages right now. And if it's not in the language that you want, just send me an Instagram and I'll get it in that language for you. So it's literally available everywhere. (laughs) Love it, love it. And if you want to stay up to date with with also One Hope, you can follow them on Instagram at One Hope Ministry. You can also keep up with Rob and Bob at at Rob Hoskins on Instagram and at Rob Dean Hoskins on uh, that's Instagram and then Twitter right there. And if you are watching us on YouTube right now, now's a great time to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you can get leadership content directed to your feed every single week. And if you want to check out more leadership content, check us out on Kent underscore Ingle at Instagram or Twitter, Kent Ingle. And then if you want to get leadership content to your inbox every single week, go to KentIngle.com, sign up for our Framework Leadership newsletter, and we'd love to, love to support you on that way. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Take care, everybody.